open up our Bibles and go to Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians, chapter number 3. And this morning, I want to teach on how to develop a strong spirit. How to develop a strong spirit. Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 14 and look through verse 16, and then we'll go to chapter 6. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Those three words, the inner man. Say that with me. The inner man. Look at chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So we're teaching on how to develop a strong spirit. Come on, sing this prayer with me. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. About 30 years ago in this nation, there were a group of men that traveled in ministry called the Power Team. And these were very brawny and muscular fellows. And they would go into high school auditoriums and minister to the kids through the various exercises that they had. They could take a bat, and one of them could bring it across their thigh and break it. Another one would have solid bricks, and they had the ability to punch directly through those bricks. They would even take pieces of steel and just bend them in front of the kids and bench press upwards of 600 pounds. They were all muscular. They were called the power team. And they would share their testimony, and they led literally thousands of people, young people, to the Lord through that ministry. They showed how that working with the physical body is essential sometimes to not only maintaining good health, but you could also use it for ministry. But then the whole thing blew up and fell apart. And it was discovered that a strong as they were. They were 
fighting and battling anger problems, issues with pornography, beating their spouses behind closed doors, problems of that character. And I thought plenty of time, how, how is it that we can be muscular, strong, and yet not have the internal fortitude to be able to resist certain things? And then I realized you can't just have a strong exterior body. You've got to develop your spirit. And if you don't develop your inner man, your spirit, you'll collapse, you'll fall in the midst of all kinds of temptation. It says here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, you can see that final sentence. It speaks of the inner man. Paul uses that phrase three times. He's the only one that uses it, the inner man, the inward man. And when a person leaves sin and comes into the kingdom of God and is born again, something changes in them. The Spirit of God regenerates their life. You received a new nature when you became a Christian. So where there had been darkness, there's now light. God gives you new desires, a new principle of desires, and that new nature inside of you, Paul calls the new man or the inner man. This is why Paul can say in Romans chapter 7, verse 22, I delight in the law of God after the inner man. When you become a Christian, it becomes normal and natural for you to love the things of God. If you were to tell me that you were a Christian but you're not interested in the Bible or Christian music or being around Christians, then I would probably tell you you're not born again. Because when you are born again, the principle of the seed of Christ is within you, and just like natural seed that you put in the ground, it reproduces after its own kind. When you're born again of incorruptible seed, you're going to have manifestations of the life of Christ in your life. Paul says, I delight in God after the inward man. He also tells us in 2 Corinthians that, the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed every day. See, all of us can see the changes taking place in our lives. When I came out here, I was in my 20s. I'm in my 50s now. When I came out here, I didn't have any white hair on this head at all. But see what pastoring you has done? See? The, the bodily changes that occur in us show us that the physical body was not designed to be eternal. But you also understand that even though physically you're growing older and in some ways parts of your faculties or your, your motions and stuff are diminishing, your mind still leads you to believe you're 30. You'll try to do things that you tried to do when you were 25 or 35. The Bible says that inward man is being renewed every single day. And Paul uses this new man or inward man as a sort of form of attire. He says, put on the new man. Because that new man has new desires. That new man is like a garment. He says, put on that new man because he's renewed in the image of God. He understands the things of God. How do we develop a strong Spirit, Paul says here in verse 
16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That tells me that your inward man can be empowered, can be made stronger. So what are some things we can do? Number one, because Paul prayed for the disciples in Ephesus, here's what you can do. Pray for other people and have people pray for you. If you want to be strong, pray for others to be strong. And those other people can pray for you. We should pray like this. Father, I'm asking you to direct so-and-so's heart into the love of God. Father, I'm praying that you would open the eyes of this person's understanding, that they would understand the riches of God's grace in their life. Open the eyes of these folks. When you're holding those grandbabies, you're praying for them. Bless them. Father, I pray your blessings upon this baby, from my grandchildren. Preserve their bodies, that they don't know sickness and disease. Keep them strong. Give them the ability to resist temptation when it comes to them. We need to be strong in our inward man, and if we don't take the time to pray, how can we be strong? Now, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, when you're praying, you can also pray in the Holy Spirit, edifying yourself. What does that mean? That means if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues, then the ability is there to pray in the Holy Ghost. And it operates and works inside of you almost like a battery charger. You take your car out there and that battery isn't working the way it's supposed to, you plug your own in. And then pretty soon, everything works out. Your car breaks down somewhere and somebody gets out some jumper cables. And they give you a jump, you can get the car started. God says praying in the Holy Ghost is the same way. It builds up that believer. And every Christian that is able to should pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in tongues going down the road. Pray when you're in your home. Pray when you're sitting in your chair. Pray when you're in the basement. Pray when you're operating or working out in your yard. But certainly you should pray. But if you can't pray that way and you don't pray that way, pray in English. But take the time to pray and believe that God is empowering you because you have greater resources inside of you than you do have externally. Your inward man is much stronger than your natural body. It is. And your natural body should be dominated by your inward man. You should never live your life according to your emotions and your senses. God never designed for Christians to have Blue Mondays, ever. God never designed for Christians to spend their time trying to, to wrestle with how to handle depression. It's not God's plan for your life to be pressed down in any way at all. You are more than a conqueror. That's the plan of God. If you don't develop your inward man, then all of these external things will control you. Then you'll be talking like this, well, under these circumstances, I don't believe I can do this. Well, you should get on top of your circumstance so your circumstances don't control you. If, if you spend your time talking up your problems and your mountains, then you'll have enough mountains surrounding you to where you'll live with a phobia and you'll never do anything or go anywhere because you're trapped by all of your mountains. But if you have a spirit that is strong, You'll face any challenge. 
you'll face any obstacle. I've told you before, if I were to go to somebody's house and they say, well, Pastor, I don't know what's going on here, but I think the house is haunted. And it just seems to me like I'm hearing voices and, and things are falling off the shelves. And, and if I'm walking around with them and I say, well, what's, what's in this room here? They say, oh, that's the worst room of all of them. And we close the door and we lock the door. We don't let anybody go in there. Oh, no, I try to knock the door off the hinges. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I will not live my life walking around afraid of what the devil is going to say. Develop a strong spirit. If you've ever been connected with someone that was very emotional and you had to walk on eggshells in order to keep them from blowing up because they'll get angry, I can tell you right now that's no way to live. That's no way to live. The person who will blow up their life is dominated by the flesh. But you, your life should be dominated by the Holy Spirit. So have people pray for you. You can develop a strong spirit. What's the second thing you can do? According to Ephesians 3.16, it says, By might in his spirit in the inner man, verse 610 says, Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Two things mentioned about the Lord, his power and his might. So within his ability and capabilities are his powers. So, secondly, read the Bible. Because the Bible is what tells you about the attributes of God, the characteristics of God. The more you get to know God, you understand His ways. And the more of His ways that you understand, the less fearful you'll be. Yeah, less fearful you'll be. There's no reason on this earth for you to be afraid to walk around the church grounds. You worry that a coyote might get you. Oh, my goodness. No coyotes around here, this this area. Every now and then I see a fox den out here, and I'm here at the church in the evening time. I look around, there'd be some mama fox and baby foxes out there playing in the field, but they're more afraid of me than I am of them. God hadn't planned for you to be that way. Develop your spirit by reading the Bible, and as you read the Scriptures, you'll come in contact with people that walk with God, and you can learn from their experiences. Abraham was a man that was called the friend of God. The Bible says that when he was an older gentleman, about 75, God said, I want you to leave the land of your nativity, leave your mom and pops. I want you to leave all of this behind, and you're going to follow me. I'll take you to a place you've never been. At 75, he did that. Now, if God were to speak to you or ask you at 75 to do anything like that, would you even have the boldness to do it? You wouldn't do it if you're afraid to do this or do that. You have to come to know God. You have to have a relationship with God. And as you learn of God's abilities, then you'll see that what God has done, he is doing. If he did it for Abraham, he'll do it for me. You have a better covenant with God than Abraham had. That's what the Bible teaches. You have a better covenant. You have a better testimony, a better high priest, a better tabernacle, better sacrifices, a more excellent name. What are you afraid of? Why allow your life to be dominated by fear? I honestly believe there are probably people in this county that have probably never, ever left the county, never wanted to leave the county. There are people, I am certain, that have never left the state of Nebraska, terrified 
to leave the state. There are some people that are terrified of a car. I remember when I first came out here, I had to talk with a pastor, and he was telling me how his wife was terrified to ride in the front seat of a car. Always had to be in the back. He had to drive, just totally bound by that. Why be bound by fear of a car when everywhere you have to go, you've got to be in a car around here? See? But some people are like that. You can overcome a fear by getting to know God. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. The greater my love for God, the more that fear disappears from my life. And if you're afraid, you're paralyzed. And if you're paralyzed, you're motionless. And if you're motionless, you can't do anything. You're crippled. Everybody's got to do something for you because you're incapable of doing it for yourself. Develop your spirit and become strong. You become strong, you'll be a helper to people and able to bless them. How do I do it? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. I can assure you, every kind of circumstance you can think of, we'll find here in the book. Yeah, theft, it's in the book. Second marriages, in the book. Half children, stepchildren, in the book. Kids born out of wedlock, in the book. Happy homes, in the book. Sexual assault, in the book. It's in here. You can find someone that passed through what you passed through. Well, think about Moses. Moses was a man of God, and this man saw the Lord split the Red Sea. He saw God bring that wind through there, and they all passed through in the night. Moses saw that. He saw the Lord when he opened up the earth. And the sons of Korah all went to hell with their clothes on because they rebelled against a man of God and complained. Yeah, he saw that. So Moses, he wasn't surprised at God's ability. He was there on the mountain time, on the mountaintop when the Lord descended in fire and thunder and smoke and lightnings. And he was like, oh, my goodness. Seeing the things that he saw, he knew there's nothing God cannot do. So when I ask you this morning, what is it that you've seen God do? Then I want to know why you're afraid of anything. If you think of what God has brought you through in your marriage, what God has brought you through raising your kids. I mean, come on, folks. If you still have any hair on your head after raising your kids, you've got to know there's a God. Yeah. A lot of these young people have been tracking since they were little ones. Some of them, they, they've never known any other preacher but me. But, oh, my goodness, can you imagine having to have raised Ethan? The work involved with that, to have Dakota sitting at the table having to feed that little crumb snatcher when he was small. Go out to Mahoney Park for the camp with all the kids, and, I mean, just all kind of stuff that was going on. I still remember the first time... We were going to family camp, and Tiffany and I were, I think we had in the car with us, Maria and Megan. And so Tiffany, she was saying, now, now you know, when we get them in the car, Daryl, how, you know, that's a long ride up there. How are we going to, you know, keep the conversation going with the girls? I said, honey, you don't have to worry about that at all. I said, once Maria starts talking, there's going to be no end. 
We got in that car headed to Mahoney. I'm telling you, Maria and Megan carried the conversation for the next two, two and a half hours or so. All I had to do was nod my head and say, yes, yes. But, but think about it. When you look back over your life and consider some of the things God has brought you through, how can you not know that God has power? And if God does have power and he's answered prayers for you in the past, why would you ever allow fear to dominate you now? Develop your spirit. Read the Bible in the morning. Read it on break time, on the job. Read it at night before you go to sleep so that you will understand the attributes of God and realize that you don't have to walk this road alone. Yeah, a strong spirit. What else can we do? Well, in considering Ephesians 6 and 10 where it says be strong, I would then couple with that verse, let us not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. You can fellowship with the saints. Fellowship. Every Christian ought to be plugged into a local house of God. Fellowship. It's important to be around people that believe like you, that love the Lord Jesus Christ, people that can make you smile, people that you can hug. Why is it that a church service is important? Several things. One, praise and worship. You get to join in with the community of saints and worship and glorify God and praise Him and magnify Him. That's important. Don't ever forget that a church service should never be designed to please sinners. That church service is designed for those that have a relationship with God. When the Lord called the saints to the tabernacle, I can promise you when Moses had the Levites blow the trumpets and they all arrived and they started singing the songs of Zion or singing in the temple, there was nobody in there saying to them, what are the Hittites singing this, this moment? What are they singing during this season? What are the prophets of Baal singing? Sing the songs of Zion. So we don't cater our services towards people who are unbelievers. Unbelievers, when they come to church, they have to enter in to what they see you doing, worshiping and praising God. When you lift your hands in service, anybody visiting who doesn't know God, they're going to wonder why you're doing that. And pretty soon when they see a lot of people doing that, they'll realize this is part of worship. When uh, so many of the kids were small, you know, when they're like um, Kay's age and everything, little kids, they just start mimicking what they see mom and pops and grandparents doing. And, and, and they're watching mom and dad, so if they see somebody lift their hand up in worship and praise to God, then pretty soon that little baby is looking at mom and dad and sticking that little hand up trying to do the same thing. That's exactly what they should be learning. Because if they learn that in the house of God, that is going to counter the effects of that world out there because the world is going to have an impact on your kids also. And if you don't believe me, look at how many young people can sit in the same room with each other today and never utter one word. They'll talk to each other on their phone. Six feet between them. And they're talking on the telephone. Fellowship, folks. Praise and worship. What else can we learn about in our fellowship with the saints? Encouragement. Believe me, there have been plenty of times where I know you have not wanted 
to come out to fellowship. I, I know preachers like that. Roll over in the morning and like, oh my goodness, I gotta go again. I mean, can can I just lay here in the bed and just maybe stay home and you know watch a film on the Great American Channel or something like that? But no, Tiffany says you're preaching this morning, you gotta go. So I jump out of bed and get dressed and go. But you know, here's the thing: encouragement is powerful. You know, to be around the saints, you know, we kind of pull from one another. Because when I see you, your smile, it makes me happy. And then if I can bother you and tease you, I hope that makes you happy. But the encouragement of the saints, no one should come to the house of God and wish they had stayed home. But there's enough of the presence of God here that we're glad we got up and, and came on out here to spend time with one another. Because who knows what your week has been like. You've had to wrestle with devils, and you've had to deal with the news reporters. You had to deal with going to the gas station, paying two hundred dollars to fill up a tank of gas, and I mean, it's just wearing on you. So when you come to the house of God, you want to see people to make you smile. Yeah, that's good. That, that's what church is about. This is how you can develop your inner man. Also, in that local church, there'll be manifestations of the spirit. God can talk to somebody. God can speak to someone. Don't ever put God in a box. And don't ever think God is limited by what you believe, however you were raised. You say, well, Pastor, you know, when I was a kid, we were Methodist. We were Lutheran. We were Baptist. We were Nazarene, whatever you, you, you might have been. And, and just, you know, in our churches, we just, God didn't say stuff like that. I mean, the preacher, he didn't get as animated as you. Well, don't, put, don't put God and preachers in a box. I've always been animated, always. And, and when God begins to move, if, if in that service there's an utterance in tongues and then an interpretation or a prophecy, we just sit in the presence of God to wait to hear what he has to say. Because what he has to say may be said to you, and you'll never know until God begins to deal with your heart. I've been in services where it probably was my first or second time in that church, and somebody gave an utterance in tongue, I give the interpretation, and what comes out of my mouth is speaking directly to somebody's heart, and nobody else in there knew it but them, maybe a husband or a child, and here I just uttered what God spoke to them about. Yeah, you never know. One manifestation of the Spirit of God can change the trajectory of a person's life, can change their belief just like that. I recall a Sunday morning service in here where I think I called people down to the altar. We were having the, the, the altar service. This was before I preached. And, and I don't know why as we were down here, I just felt led, walk over to where Megan was and got down on my knees, put my hands on her feet and began to prophesy to her. When she was in high school, prophesied to her about going to countries, God changing this, God changing that. Well, if, if you remember, uh, Megan, when she was younger, her and Maria, they never wandered too far from Mama's skirt right there after the service. I mean, just hung right around that pew wherever she was. My, they might have got out, got in maybe outside a little six-foot radius, but pretty soon they were drifting right back on over there. But within a short time, here Megan's overseas. Then Megan's overseas again. 
One manifestation of the Spirit can change a person's life. You never know what God will say. Don't ever put God in a box and say, well, God can't do that. God won't do that. You don't know what God will do. And there are plenty of denominations that say when the last apostle died, God stopped doing anything. But my question would be, why would God stop doing anything? Because a man died. Because a woman died. In the book of Acts, we're still supposed to preach the gospel, because they preached it in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, people repented of their sins. People still need to repent today. In the book of Acts, people were baptized in water. We still baptize people in water today. In the book of Acts, people went into the different cities to preach the gospel. We still go around the world to preach the gospel today. So why should we expect different results from what they received if we're doing what they did and we have the same God? Well, Justin Martyr lived from 100 A.D. to 165 A.D., here's what he said, one of the church fathers. I'm not talking about what, what, what a pope said or what some leader of another church said. I'm saying this is what Justin Martyr, an early church father, said. He said, come into our fellowships and you will see the Spirit of God at work. Even today, they still cast out devils, heal the sick, speak in tongues and prophesy. Another church father, Cyprian, here is his testimony. He said, even children, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years of age, filled with the Holy Spirit, are prophesying in our churches. That's within a couple of hundred years of the Lord having ascended to heaven. So whenever people tell me that these things aren't true or these things are real, I just simply say, maybe they're not real and true for you. But it hasn't changed us. When I went to Jordan back in the fall or August of 1994, pastor got malaria. And with malaria in my body, I lay there in that bed. I had blankets all on top of me. Had the chills real bad. But there was no way I was going to let them put me in a Jordanian hospital. I told my American friend who was there studying Arabic with me in that country, I said, there's no way you put me in that hospital. I said, I don't know what they believe in these hospitals. There's no way I'm going to be anybody's guinea pig. And so I said, you folks have to pray. So my friend, Rakid, and this Arab gentleman named Athir, as I lay in that bed with all those blankets on me, shaking, chilling, sweating, they sat down up against the wall, and they prayed for me. They prayed all night until they went to sleep. When they wake up, they start praying for me again. I laid there so long in so much sweat and problems that I fell asleep, and when I went to sleep, I had a dream strangest dream. In that dream, someone said to me, Daryl, the master wants to see you. And so, of course, in the dream, it's heaven. So I'm looking, well, where is Jesus? So I go over here to where Jesus is in that dream, and he says to me, you cannot stay here. You've got to go back. I says, Lord, I don't want to leave 
this place, this this feels so amazing. And he said, you have to go back. And then he did something with his hand like this. And I saw Rakid sitting there praying for me. This is all in the dream. I saw him praying for me. He said, you, you can't stay here. You have to go back. I said, well, okay. Next thing I remember, I woke up in that bed, Rakid and Athir, basically slumped over, kind of sleep, because it's near sunrise. Now, I woke up totally well. I threw those blankets off of me, ran around that little village I was living in called Mahata, and I was just shouting and screaming because God had healed me in the middle of the night from a dream. So here comes someone who comes along and says in their little teaching on television or in their tape series, God doesn't talk to people in dreams or visions anymore. I say, you're a lie. He's a big God. He can do what he wants to do. And some of you in here have had dreams and visions that have stayed with you because God was talking to you. He may have shown you something, and then it came to pass. You said, oh, my goodness, I never even knew that's what God was saying. He tried to communicate with you. He tried to speak to you. But coming out to the house of God to help develop that inner man because you become more sensitive to the things of the Spirit. And you won't be an unbeliever and a skeptic. You'll learn to trust that the hand of God that worked in the book is the hand of God at work in your life right now. Yeah. I think of some of the stories I have heard you in here tell me about. I think of a story Dana told me of a pastor or preacher that prayed for her when she was younger and a, a blessing and a healing came to her. I think of stories from many of you in here that I have heard over and over again. But you need to tell yourselves your stories again and again and again so that you'll believe them and continue to believe them. So that your life won't be dominated by fear. Develop a strong spirit. Then the last thing I'd tell you is James chapter 4, verse number 7. The Bible is fairly clear. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Submit to God. Submit, surrender, give everything over to God, and God will do things for you. If you don't submit yourself to God, you're going to run into trouble. Remember the story of Samson? Chapters 14, 15, and 16 of Judges talk about Samson. In every chapter, Samson is chasing a woman. He was supposed to be a spiritual man. He was supposed to be a judge of Israel. We don't find him judging anybody. He goes from one bedroom to the next. From one battle to the next. Why? Because he didn't have a strong spirit. He was dominated by his senses. Dominated by the lusts of the flesh. Dominated by his emotions. He saw a Philistine woman one day. He said to his mom and dad, I want her. They said to her, you can't have her. 
See, you're an Israelite. You're supposed to have somebody in covenant with God. You're a believer. You're supposed to be with someone who's a believer, not someone who's out of covenant with God, an unbeliever. He said, I don't care. I want her. And the mom and, the mom and dad said to their son, can't you ever love somebody of the Israelites? But they acquiesced, gave in to his desires, gave him the woman that he wanted, arranged for the relationship to be consummated, and pretty soon there's trouble. And it's just a downward spiral with Samson. Pretty soon he falls for a woman by the name of Delilah. And Delilah couldn't understand where his strength came from because looking at him, I guess he didn't look or appear to be strong. But I'm telling you, that man could lift up the gates of the city, carry him somewhere. He could take on a bunch of people and beat them down. And she said, where's all this power coming from? And he said, I can't tell you. She kept trying, kept trying, temptation after temptation. He resisted. He resisted, but she was too beautiful. She was too sensual. And one day, as he was laying there, and she just running her fingers through the scalp, and his hair and massaging him, and he's being all excited about her. And he, she said, how long are you going to deceive me? Don't you know I love you? If you really love me, you tell me what I want to know. Where does your power come from? Samson said to that lady, my power is in the fact that my hair has never been cut. If I ever cut my hair, I lose my strength. Well, he was never supposed to cut his hair. He never intended to cut his hair, but he never should have told Delilah about the secret of his anointing. When she found out, she waited for him to go to sleep, and no sooner he was asleep, she called for the barbers and all the other ungodly heathen people, and they came in and cut his hair while he was asleep, and then she shouted. She said, the Philistines and their enemies are upon you, and Samson jumped up, and he was ready to fight like previous times, but the Bible says he knew not that the Lord had left him. didn't have that power, see? And he ended up being taken captive, they poked his eyes out and blinded him. They put him at a grinding mill so that as a blind man, he was tied to that mill, and all he could do for the rest of his days was walk around in a circle all day long. Didn't have a strong spirit at all. He had strong lusts of the flesh. But his final prayer, when they brought him in to that arena in front of all of those people who wanted to mock him as a former powerful Israelite man. He was blind. They had him basically tied to some pillars. He was standing between them. And his final prayer was, Lord, help me. Give me a little bit of strength. And his hair had begun to grow in the previous months. And he pushed those pillars and the whole arena collapsed, and hundreds, if not thousands, of people died. But had that man had a stronger spirit, he would have never ended up in bondage, and he wouldn't have had to die that way. Men, women, develop your spirit. Don't become captive to stuff on that computer that you ought not be dealing with. 
Don't become captive to, to, to thoughts that the devil wants to implant that you need to resist. Be very careful because that devil is slick. And the moment you begin to think you've got enough willpower and enough intelligence to outsmart him, I'm telling you, you're no smarter than an ant that wades into the web of a spider. But the moment you get into that and go to twisting and turning, the more you move, the more you attract that adversary, and the deeper you become entrenched in that problem. But God has called for you and for me to walk with the king. Give no place to the devil. That's what the Bible says. Why does he say that? Because God has given you a place at the right hand of the Father. Give no place to the devil. Yeah. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And any opportunity that you provide, he will take advantage of it. A lot of years we've been out here. I can tell you a lot of stories about people we prayed for privately and had to minister to. But I'll tell you this. One of the most heartbreaking situations I've had, ever had to deal with many, many years ago, 20 years ago or better. woman got to messing around with stuff on the computer she shouldn't have been messing around with, got hooked up with somebody she shouldn't have been hooked up with, and before you know it, left her husband. Left her husband. Left them kids. Moved off to where she went. Just about wrecked her life. But I mean, here we are, wife and I, trying to help pick up the pieces. Somebody's life, because of that entrapment, when it's all over, man dies of a broken heart, drinking liquor. See? Doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Develop a strong spirit. Run with people that are stronger than you are. Run with the saints of God. Don't cut yourself off from the congregation of the righteous. Because that's exactly what the wolves and the wild dogs do. They run the prey until the prey starts getting tired and they look for somebody that's wounded. And then pretty soon, them wild dingo dogs, they'll cut off something from the rest of that herd. And then when they get that thing out there by itself jackrabbit or anything. They'll run it till it can't run anymore and become so exhausted from life. Then pretty soon they all pounce upon it and devour it. God hadn't called for us to be lone rangers, but he's called for us to live together in a flock and to walk with God together. Amen? No doubt about it, folks. No doubt about it. But to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Let's stand. Find me a little song back there. Caleb, whatever you were playing.